Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I can tell you something um, definitively, because mm-hmm. I feel like there's going to be a lot of stuff which I can't really say definitively one way or the other, but I can definitely tell you this. I really don't like games against Man City. yeah nor do i well we keep losing them well i mean that's that's one of the factors that is definitely a significant factor i'm not playing that down in any way i think that's you know i I don't know what it is i find them strange to think about i find them strange to experience i find them strange to analyze because there's a there's a logical part a rational part of your head and you look at man city and you look at all the myriad reasons as to why they would be better than us because you know they're x amount of years into the pep project if you like Mm. the finances they're much more um they're a better run club they're a more established team you know all of those things and losing to a team that's just won 17 games in a row who've beaten Chelsea who've beaten Everton who've beaten Liverpool and scored four against Liverpool mm-hmm. you know losing to them it, it isn't it isn't not that it's a um, a good thing but you can understand why it happens right you yeah know, there's you, no shame per se in that sure yeah. but at the same time there's something like really disheartening about playing them because I don't know if it's just that the gulf is so big and it becomes apparent every time we play them I I had a a really weird moment yesterday where I was kind of I'm not going to say I was like excited for the game because I was a bit 
uh, trepidatious, you know, because of Man City and everything else. But, you know, I watched a bit of the build-up, which I don't normally do. And mm-hmm. uh, it was it was sort of doing the teams and Martin, Martin Tyler did his, and it's live, bit. Sure. And then I realized I was watching on Sky Channel 401, which has the fake crowd noise. Uh-huh. So I turned over just as the game kicked off onto 402 for the no crowd noise. And it was like a punch in the stomach in a way because it just went from this like, okay, it's fake, it's not real, it's 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 an act, whatever way you want to go, to nothing. Yeah. And it's yeah. absolutely sucked the life out of whatever little bit of – um, excitement I had about it, and then of course you can see the goal to Raheem Sterling after two minutes, and that does that doesn't help either, you know. So there's it got uh, more silent somehow. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's strange. I just don't like them as experiences, and I will absolutely admit that you know our lack of competitiveness in the in these games is is a part of it. But I just feel overall there's something to them that I I could live without, if you like. Yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it. I, I think your point about the crowd noise, by the way, I just, I, I know not everyone feels like this, but for me, when all this is over, and one day it will be over, and there are fans back in stadiums, mm. I do wonder if I might sort of just file away this period of football somewhere, compartmentalise it and be like, well, that didn't really count because that wasn't really football. And that is honestly how I feel about it. Like, I can't, stress enough how divorced this is from what I really love about yeah. the sport at the moment. I think that's true uh, of everybody. And look, you know, we're not, that's not to make any excuses about us no, and what no, we're no. doing or our season or anything like it. But I think you're right. There will come a point where we look back on this and just go, Whoa. you know, it's like a season in brackets or with an asterisk or whatever way you want to put it. Absolutely. You know, it, it, there is something just not right about it. Um, you know, and again, I, I, I suspect that if we were playing better and if we were scoring more goals and if we had more points and if we were in the top four, it probably wouldn't be quite as significant an issue. Um, maybe it would. No, I don't know. But maybe I, maybe it would. Yeah, but. I still think when you look at this Premier League season and some of the stuff that's going on, I do think that that asterisk will be kind of justified in future. Mm. I think people will look at it and go, oh, that was that was weird. A lot of weird stuff was going on. Yeah. And none of this is to make any excuses for Arsenal, by the way. Yeah. Um, and their performances, which have been really disappointing. It's just, I know exactly what you mean about that kind of gut punch and realising, you know, that this is such an alien yeah. setting. But also, I think even with crowds, games against Man City can quickly feel like that. <laughs> and it is it is almost like being kind of crushed by a python, you know, and you feel like you mm. it's closing in on you and you, you the more you struggle, the more they can just kind of tighten it. It feels like your your kind of freedom is illusory because yeah. every time you you try and do anything, you know, they just can just turn up a notch, you know, squeeze those muscles a little sure. bit tighter. Football in quicksand or something, or like I said, yeah. I said in the blog today, it's like because of the relentless machine-like quality of City, it's like death by a thousand cuts from a footballing perspective. You know, the, the, there seems to be an inevitability about what's going to happen. And yeah. even if City hadn't scored that early goal and we'll, we'll deal with all that, um, 
in the coming minutes. You know, it, it always felt, or it does feel like, because of the quality they have, okay, they didn't get the goal in the second minute, but they'll just play until they get it in the 15th or the 19th or the 32nd minute, whatever it is. You always feel like they have the ability to kind of go up a gear or another gear or however many gears it takes for them to get the goals that they need in a game, which is true of what they've done of late, not just to us as well. I think it's reasonable to point out. No, and it is interesting. I mean, their team, unlike a lot of great teams, it's not one with kind of one particularly standout. I mean, they've got some really great players, but it's not built around one player. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And they've even kind of divorced themselves from the idea of having a conventional centre forward. It's that was, just this. That was funny, was it? You see the Arteta interview. Uh, I don't know if he was being tongue in cheek or if he was being dead serious, but before the game, he was asked about City's setup and he said, well, it looks like Pep has finally figured out what he's always wanted to do play without strikers <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean he would know I guess mm. you know I'm sure it's something they talked about um, and we're doing an interesting experimental thing where we play with strikers but we just never get them the ball it's mm. a really uh, exciting develop- t- tactical development from Dr. <laughs> Tata but um, yeah I mean listen for credit City they're obviously in the midst of an incredible run and you know in this strange season you wonder how long it might go on Um mm. But I know, I know precisely what you mean. It, it always feels like they have an extra gear. And I kind of came out of this game feeling like, well, you know, it was a one-goal margin. We could have pushed on there. We could have maybe threatened that. We could have done something. But I don't doubt that had we done so, if they had really wanted to, mm. they might have had another gear to go to. I know? mean, that is the difficulty. You know, I get it. I, I, I feel like maybe we could have done more, particularly in the final 20 minutes. It reminded me of the, the first game this season against them where we were thinking, oh, could yeah. we have done more in the final 20 minutes? And look, there's a risk-reward thing going on there as well in that, you know, if you push forward against a team like Man City, you're going to leave yourself open. If you leave yourself open, chances are, unless you score, you're going to concede more goals. And then there's the whole argument, well, you know, you might as well lose 2-0 than 1-0. Um, but it might be 4-0, so that's definitely damaging as well and you know it is it is this it is the heart versus the head argument with this game for me right because mm-hmm. my head tells me yes yeah, city won city are the better team they have the better players they've got a better coach they've got a better um you know more established team they're more complete you know like i said at the start all the reasons that your head tells you a city win in this game isn't necessarily something to get particularly exercised about but your heart you know you want arsenal to compete you want arsenal to be competitive i i realize that there is a very fine line between defeatism and realism mm. you know saying city are more likely than us to win this game is not defeatism it's realism but at the same time you think about the last 20 minutes could we have put on Sabayos for example for El Neni you know just to give us a bit more in in midfield you know would people have been understanding if we'd gone for I mean would people be okay with losing 3-0 if you concede twice in the last 15 minutes I mean, some people would. I, I know, I know, I know. Not everybody would. People would say, "Well, three nil. That's a that's a drubbing. You know, why don't you try and keep it tight?" Which is maybe what we tried to do, or you know. And I think the other part of it is like just saying, "Have a go at City in the final twenty minutes" is a bit easier said than done, yeah, as well, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. you know they are a really good team. They are. I think maybe. Um, when you look at what they are defensively now, I mean, there were times in the last 
what, two years, you might have looked at Man City defensively and said, if there's a weakness in this City team, that's where it is. You know, sure. individually and also collectively, they've gone through a glutton of central defenders who haven't quite worked out. I think they've found the formula now, you know, uh, not simply with the players that they have at the back, but how well organized they are in general. And, you know, they're a really difficult team to play against. So, you know, I would have loved us uh, to have more of a go, but I also understand how difficult that is. You know, it's, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe they were having a go. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You know, but at that point, you're, you know, how, how, how much energy do you have? Because you've been running around the whole game chasing the ball. Um, you can't get near it at times because of the way City keep possession, yeah. particularly in the first half. Much more, I think, even in, in the second half. And I think we probably had more possession in the second half than they did. Um, but, yeah. So, look, where do we start? Team selection? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, we all wondered what Mikel Arteta might do in the middle of this European tie, the extent to which he'd change it. What was mm. it, about four? Five. Four, five, five changes in the end. Yeah, so Tierney in for Cedric, Marie and holding in for Louise and Gabriel, Elneny yeah. in for Ceballos, and Pepe came in for... Um, Smithrow. Smithrow, exactly. So, you know... Before the game, Arteta said, look, we've had some players who've been struggling to train the last few days. He isn't the only manager to talk about how difficult and how hard the schedule is when it comes to keeping your squad fresh. I mean, even Guardiola said that. And they've got, you look at the city bench yesterday. Oh, it was absolutely crazy. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. But even Guardiola is talking about how hard it is to keep things fresh. I mean, he's got, he's much more capable of doing it than many managers. But I think um, when it comes to team selection and some of the decisions, we probably have to err on the, um, the side of more knowledge going into those decisions behind the scenes than we have from the outside. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, some of those changes didn't make the team any weaker than Thursday. For example, Tierney in for Cedric. You know, I think Pepe in his recent form, you know, brings a lot. Uh, so in theory, that, that could have been a good addition. Um, Rob Holding had been the starting centre back until two games ago. So, you know, I, I thought they were kind of pretty reasonable changes to make given yeah. given the circumstances. What did you make of the, the deployment of Saka and Pepe on the left and on the right, given how good mm. Saka has been on the right-hand side? Um, you know, what, I thought what, it was all about Cancelo, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, I thought he was there to do a job on that left-hand side um, with Tierney more than Pepe would have. Yeah, and also the way that Cancelo plays, and he has been amazing for City this season from right back or left back, but he comes in and plays as a kind of third central midfield player a lot of the time. And I guess Arteta was looking at that and thinking, I want someone to go with him. And ultimately, Saka is a player who has played as a kind of central midfielder and is more comfortable sort of splitting that role than mm. Pepe. Um I know Saka's been in really good form on the right-hand side. And so people will say, why didn't we sort of think about ourselves first and foremost and just put our best player in his best position? Um, it, I, I think it's really tricky, that one, because 
Arteta does have this tendency against City, I'm not going to say to overthink it, but to try and do something specific to cause them problems based on what he knows of them and of Guardiola. I think overthinking it is a reasonable... Well, I mean, we we saw it in the the first game. You know, the the false nine thing with Willian was definite overthinking. I'm not sure there was that in this game. I think he was thinking quite specifically about what what Cancelo does from, from the areas in which he plays. It's tricky, isn't it? Because mm. we just don't know if it's Pepe out on the left and Saka on the right. We don't know the kind of mayhem Cancelo causes or not. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's almost impossible to say. But clearly that was his thinking. And in fairness to Arteta, it didn't stop Saka being, I thought, comfortably our, our best player, particularly in the first half. Yeah, I agree. But then it left us with a right-hand side that didn't really work. Um, no, it didn't. There it is didn't. there is a mountain of evidence now that that as a combination, Bellerin and Pepe isn't always right. Like mm. it doesn't seem to function as well as we might like, despite the fact they've played together or, or you know more or less for coming up on two years now. They haven't really formed the sort of understanding that you would like to see and I don't know where exactly to apportion the blame I know some people will will say it's it's entirely down to Bellerin some people will say it's down to Pepe you know it could be a combination of the two I mean Bellerin and Saka works reasonably well how much that's got to do with with Bellerin or just how good Saka is it's another conversation but it's a really tricky one that because I do think that most teams have a kind of a bias on the side that they attack and I do wonder if as well Arteta was looking at Cancelo and thinking well he does vacate that space Mm. and if I put Saka and Tierney in combination on that side you know we could create something and we did create overloads on that left-hand side ultimately they didn't lead to anything but you know we were getting Tierney into really pretty decent positions especially given how little we had the ball um so, yeah, it is tricky, but I accept as well that Bellerin and Pepe don't seem to have any chemistry on that side whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I mean, what would, I mean, do you think when it came to sort of the attacking areas of the pitch, he was looking at, let's say, on the left-hand side, because Aubameyang drifts out there, he's looking at Sakatirni, Aubameyang, and on the right-hand side, he's looking for Bellerin, Pepe and Odegaard. And perhaps Odegaard mm-hmm. to be the glue that brings those two together. Difficult circumstances. I know you can't say definitively really whether that worked or not uh, against a team like City. I mean, it didn't work on the day. Uh, I mean, it's not to say that it might never work. No, and listen, we both spoke really positively about Odegaard mm. after the Benfica game, but this was a match that, to my mind, really passed him by. And I sort of think it was kind of inevitable uh, given how little possession we had, you know, and Mm. and when we did have it, it seemed almost exclusively to go up that left flank and his tendency is to drift out to the right, as you point out. So Mm. he really didn't uh, get involved massively. Um, I I also think, sorry, but if you're looking at the right-hand side, you know, if you think about the Benfica game, the best chance we created in the game was from the right-hand side. And yes, it was from Saka spinning in behind, um, Oh, no, it wasn't. It was from Hector Bellerin playing a really, really good cross, which Aubameyang somehow tapped wide. But I think you have to look at the pass that plays Bellerin in, and it's from Danny Ceballos in that right-hand channel. Yeah. And I think, 
you know, we started Mohamed Elneny in this game. I guess Arteta felt he had to give one of the central midfielders a risk. But clearly, uh, it cost us in terms of how we were able to progress the ball through the midfield, particularly on that right-hand side. Yeah, I mean, the Elneny one is, is interesting in that... You know, he's not the most progressive player. We know that. But what he is, is reliable in possession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much that possession benefits your team is another question. Well, um, and also I, the areas in which you have it. I mean, sure. You know, he's, he's he's very good sort of kind of shuttling it around, essentially in a back three. I mean, you know, he's... he's well, he he's dropped in there a lot. Deep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I had a look at his, um, you know, his passing stats. I mean, as, as um, you know, just in terms of pass completion, he, he, you know, he was really good in that sense. He'd 97% completed 61 passes, you know, which is a lot against a team like Man City who have the ball a great deal. Um, but the, the areas um, in which he made those passes, um, 24 out of 24 in the defensive third, 32 out of 33 in the middle third, and five out of six in the attacking third. Now, I know that's not his place or that's not where he's supposed to be on the pitch yeah yeah um but it does tell you about the role that he played and whether that inhibits the team or whether his perhaps inability is maybe that's the wrong word but inclination yeah his inclination is to be safe in possession and i think there's probably something to be said for that in a game against man city where if you lose the ball in your own half you're going to be in big trouble you know, they can turn over there and, and, and really cause you problems. Um, so that reliability in those areas of the pitch is in some ways beneficial. But if you're looking to get the ball forward, if you're looking to to release people like Odegaard, like Bellerin, like Pepe on that right-hand side, you know, because Shaka's more to the left and Elneny's more to the right, so he's dovetailing with those guys. You know, he's not going to give you much in in that sense, is he? No, he's not. And I do feel like if if you're not going to have loads of the ball, you know, ha- having a Ceballos or having a Partey, someone who mm. can kind of split the lines, you know, or play a ball in over the top or, you know, find a runner from deep, that that ability to be, to progress you into the final third with a pass is really valuable. And, and Shaq has had some good games recently, but they've been with one of those guys mm. next to him. And And when I looked at this team... Although I kind of didn't have a huge issue with the starting lineup, when I looked at the kind of the four central defensive players, you know, Marie Holding, Shaka, uh, El Neni, you know, they weren't the most kind of press resistant quartet that we have. And against City, I think that can give you problems. You know, they're all none of them are particularly quick. You know, none of them are particularly agile. Um, and I think that also hindered our ability to kind of escape their press and, yeah. and, and get out. Just to sort of uh, compare the, the stats, Shaka made um, 68 of 76 passes, so basically 90%. But again, matches with El Nani, 24-24 in the defensive third, 32 of 36 in the middle third, mm-hmm. but 12 out of 16 attempted in the attacking third and three from five inside their penalty area, which, you know, El Nani had none in that sense. So, you know, he he was that little bit more progressive. And, um, you know, that's in part due to the way that, that El Nani played and dropped back in to be that 
third central defender, particularly in the second half. We saw that uh, a great deal. Let's talk- and, and Shaka, yeah. I prefer, by the way, when he is the guy who's the deeper of the two midfielders. I mean, when he plays with Partey, if you look at the kind of average position maps, Partey's 15, mm. 20 yards further ahead than Shaka. He's the guy filling in as the kind of third centre-back yeah. and building it up much deeper. Obviously, Elneny, it's a different chemistry. It's a different combination. But um, particularly in the second half, and we'll come on to that, uh, you know, I felt that held us back a little bit. Mm. So let's talk about their goal. We have a tendency mm-hmm. to concede early against Man City when we play them in the league. It cannot have been something that was unmentioned in the build-up and in the team talk and in the preparation. Is like, lads, you know, keep it tight, 10, 15 minutes, get to 20 minutes, see where we are, nil-nil, and then, you know, gauge the uh, the temperature of the game and see what we can do to react to what they're doing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And then you let in a goal in the second minute. Um, you know, really, really frustrating. And, and very frustrating. Um, look, we can talk about how City might have just kept going and got the goal, and maybe they would have. But that that goal in particular was the one which separated the sides at the end of 90 minutes is very frustrating for me because it was so preventable. Yeah, I mean, Arteta said, didn't he, we prepared this scenario exactly um, and the players basically didn't follow it. Uh, it was a really, really, really sloppy goal to concede. Kind of everything about it, really. Um, I mean, obviously, particularly the way that Raheem Sterling, the smallest man in the penalty box, is able to mm. kind of ghost away from his markers and stick that in. But I also think, you know, Riyad Mahrez is probably allowed to get the cross in far too easily. Kieran Tierney backs off him a bit. Mm. Um and yeah, what do you think happens with Sterling? Is it a confusion between Holding and Bellerin about who's doing what there? Or? Um, I think it's Holding's responsibility. Um, yeah. I think he made a mistake. I don't know that he was properly switched on. And, you know, it's not the first time in recent weeks that Rob Holding has been caught out in the opening stages of a game. You know, you think no, back to I, think back to the yeah, Villa game, right. and um, you know he he had one simple job to do in the penalty box for the Ollie Watkins goal, which was to get tight to his men. Uh, you know, he didn't necessarily have to win the ball, but he had to make it difficult for Watkins to get a shot off. He didn't, and the the deflection off holding because he was too far away was what what um, made it impossible for Matt Ryan to save it. Yesterday, I think Bellerin has a man on the back of him. I know Bellerin can see what's happening. I can't believe there isn't communication there. I think Holding looks back. He doesn't get close enough to Sterling. He do, he's the wrong side of him. He's not tight enough, you know, mm-hmm. and when you're a six-foot-something central defender and you're being out-jumped in the box by Raheem Sterling in the second minute of a game, that's on you, I'm afraid. Um, you know, and I thought there were elements of Holding's game. He, he responded pretty well, made some decent tackles, but that's a big, big error, and ultimately that error... Um, at the end of the 90 minutes is what separated the sides. Yeah, I wonder as well, was it a factor, and it's not an excuse for for the player, but I, I wonder the uncertainty over exactly who was going to be playing through the middle for City. You know, I wonder if that created a doubt in his mind of who's my man, who's mm. coming from where. Um if so, sort of credit to that. But there's nobody else in there. I mean, there's, you know, as the central defender, he's got nobody else to worry about. When you look at who is um, in in the vicinity when he heads the ball in, there's, is it Bernardo Silva who's in the six yard box? 
and Raheem Sterling is on the edge of the six-yard box and there's Bellerin, there's Holding, there's Marie, there's El Elneny and then I think Gundogan is sort of near the edge of the box. Maybe it's De Bruyne coming in at the top of the box. So it's not as if he had a plethora of options or, or, or a load of runners to confuse him. Mm. I think that's, I just think it's a lapsing concentration. Yeah. Do you think, do you think uh, Tierney lets Morris get that crossing a, a little, little bit, bit as well? Yeah, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. And um, yeah, yeah, I think maybe I, he can does. Can I ask about Kieran Tierney, by the way? I mean, yeah. What did you make of his performance? I, I sort of came away from it thinking, you know, he did really well. He was really committed. He worked incredibly hard. He didn't look as fresh as I hoped he might look after his rest. He looked absolutely banjaxed by about yeah. 40 minutes. I was looking Hands at him. Yeah, there stuff, was one, one moment where he got forward and he obviously bombed down the left. And, like, it wasn't that he was taking his time to get back it was that he just wasn't getting back he was standing there getting his breather I think he's very tired I mean afterwards he did say look I'm glad to get 90 minutes under my belt so I think that they must that must have been part of why he stayed on for the 90 minutes because you could have made a good case for taking him off couldn't you yeah, you know given his definitely. injury record so you, I assume there's some method in the madness there in that like 90 minutes into his legs is what he needs to get himself back to to full fitness. Look, I think he had some really good moments, um, some of his overlapping. So, you know, he gives us that threat down the left-hand side. Uh, But some of his crossing was poor. You know, there was one in particular, I think, where maybe he was sent down by Xhaka. I can't remember exactly how it played out, but he just kind of clumped it behind, you know. It was a Mm. really poor delivery maybe down to tiredness fatigue rustiness whatever you want to call it uh it wasn't it wasn't great um i just have a sort of listen maybe he's on the way back and within a couple of games he'll be flying like mm. he was but you know he looks like a guy who needs a summer off and a pre-season pretty desperately to me um and i'm sure there's plenty of premier league footballers in that position to mm. be fair but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll he'll come back. Well, I how just, long has he? How long did he miss? Um, boom, boom, boom. Oh, so he missed basically a month. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just wonder: is it is it purely a match fitness thing? You know, because he had a, be. a, a lower leg issue, then he had a bit of a knee issue. But you know, he was doing individual training and things like that. So it might just be a match fitness thing with him. We'll Fingers wait and crossed. See. Yeah, yeah. He, he did create a. A chance for Saka, didn't he? The shot that he had that was kind of blocked by a Bemiang in the end. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like our first real foray forward. I mean, City, I thought, could have scored. It felt like they could have scored a couple more in that first 15 minutes. I mean, they just came out yeah. the blocks flying and we couldn't get near them. To be fair, we did make a change, I think, uh, in terms of how we set up, which um, which negated the the effectiveness uh, of what City were doing in the opening stages of the game. But like you, when that goal went in really early, I was thinking, oh, shit, this could be this could be a hammering here, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, we come back to this thing, like, is 1-0 an acceptable defeat? Is that an acceptable way to think about what what um, what we should be doing? You know, it's, it's a head versus heart thing again. Well, yeah, I mean, my position on it is that I don't think 1-0... I don't think any defeat is great and you shouldn't be celebrating or no. pleased with any defeat. But my feeling was to be in the game 
with kind of half an hour, 20 minutes to go at 1-0. Certainly, if I'd been offered that, I would have taken it. So, you know? so is the issue not being able to do more with the final 15, so. 20 minutes? And that was the issue at the Etihad as yeah. well. Um, and one of the things they said on Sky that's quite interesting is they, they pondered whether the absence of crowd has an effect in that. You know, if there's, there's 60,000 people there, does it demand an urgency that kind of never quite came from Arsenal in this match? Yeah, I wonder, actually. I do wonder. But, you know, that's something every team is having to contend with. Yeah. And there are teams, I'm sure the stats will prove this, um, that finish games yeah. strongly. You know, and we don't. And I think that's was, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was Orbino doing a, a stat about how many goals we've scored after the 75th minute in games this season. And we're mm. level with West Brom or something like that. You know, it's bad. So we don't finish games as strongly as we should or could. And maybe that's down to substitutions. That that old chestnut again in terms of how we how we change the dynamic of a game or are we able or is Mikel Arteta able rather to change the dynamic of a game sufficiently when we need to yeah we certainly don't throw the kitchen sink at anything do we it's never a case really that we kind of mm. abandon the principles and just get the attacking players on all and the, I know all that the strikers yeah, yeah. Well, the old the old Wenger kind of four up front thing. I mean, I know that sounds um, astonishingly simplistic, but there is something to it, I suspect. Um, and we, because effectively, you you take a gamble there. You mm. create a situation that you know is going to put City under pressure or force them to change what they're doing. Um, and it, it comes with risk. It comes with the risk that you get taken out on the counter attack. Um, but it also comes with the possibility that you might score. And, and I'm not sure Arsenal ever looked like scoring really in that second half yesterday. Yeah. No. Am I, I being unfair? No, I, I, I don't I, think you are. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't create. We didn't. You know, I think there were moments where perhaps the the we could have used the ball better. We could have held the ball up better. I know holding the ball up is not necessarily Aubameyang's uh, greatest strength but i i still think he could have done better at times yesterday some of the the final pass or the the decision making in i'm gonna not gonna say the final third but sort of trying to get into the final third wasn't always great mm-hmm. um but like yeah and what about the subs did you feel that they i'm trying to just remember exactly when we made them so 73 minutes was the first couple of changes and it was odegaard and pepe came off for Smith Rowe and Lacazette. I mean, to be honest, I don't really object to those changes. You know, there's a logic to to both of those. Mm. I I think the bigger issue for me is that we waited as long as we did to bring Danny Ceballos on and change what we were doing kind of, you know, in terms of building the play up. I just felt we, we desperately need, and maybe, look, maybe he's a guy who couldn't train this week. Maybe he's a guy who's in the red zone and really struggling, but, we needed something else in the middle of the park. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, look, if Danny Ceballos couldn't train and could only play four minutes, what's the point in bringing him on for four minutes? Yeah. You know? Um, uh, yeah, that would have been the 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 one area where I felt if we were really going to go for it, we could have made the change. I think 
trying to do something more, putting a more progressive player in central midfield for the last 20 minutes. Um, you know, and I think as well, you know, one of... one of uh, Sabayas isn't really a, a chump defensively either. You know, it's not as if he doesn't give you anything from a defensive point of view. He's a, he's a hard-working hard. guy and can get back and can cover in those positions. I think he's comfortable on the ball in his own defensive third and in the middle third, obviously. So, you know, I don't know that it would have made us any less stable. Maybe a little bit, but it definitely would have given us a bit more going forward, particularly now that we had Saka on the right-hand side. Um, he moved over there when... Uh, when Pepe went off. So, yeah, look, just a game I'm I'm kind of glad to put behind us in a way. I mean, is the... I mean, do you get a sense of disappointment about this what? game or this result? Like, in isolation, do you get that? Or do you think that this or whatever sense of disappointment or, or frustration there might be about it beyond the fact that, you know, we were culpable for the goal that we let in is the fact that this is now the 11th game we've lost in the Premier League this season. I think it's partly that. I think it's the fact, to be honest, I think a lot of the frustration and kind of disappointment that I personally felt kind of came from the fact that Ultimately, as a fan, I look forward to kind of every game Arsenal play. You know, it's 90 minutes in my week that I enjoy and I'm like, right, this is going to be a contest and it's going to be hopefully exciting and there's a possibility that we might win. And when you concede a bad goal as early as we did, yeah, that excitement is kind of whipped from underneath your feet. You know, your feeling of like, right, we're going to have a real good go with this disappears after 90 seconds. And then you've got 90 minutes of sort of stewing on it, hoping it's going to get better, kind of knowing it probably isn't going to. And so by the time the full time whistle blows, mm -hmm. you feel pretty sick about it. And I, I don't know. It just feel, I think that, I think that the, the way in which we lost this, contributes to that feeling of frustration as much as the losing of it. You know? Yeah. yeah. But it, 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 it's, it's also context, you know, it's where we are in the league. I mean, look, we all enjoyed um, Tottenham losing again at the weekend, but ultimately uh, there's still a place above us and we're also looking at a David Moyes West Ham team and thinking, how are they more than 10 points clear of us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's, so we're in a, you know, it's a, it's a very, very uh, bad season, I think, by any measure. So I don't look. We know City are better than us, and you can see the gulf, and you can see how far away they are from us. And I don't think any Arsenal fan realistically expects us to be at City's level in the next few years I, I I honestly think there's no one out there who thinks yeah in two to three years we'll be competing with this Manchester City side mm. but you know we we do expect to be better than we are that's yeah. for sure yeah for sure um yeah I think we're 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 having a a bad season no question in in Premier League terms um definitely and and you know, there are kind of some caveats and asterisks around this season, but I, I don't think they 
excuse uh, the results. No, I don't think so either. And every other team is dealing with the same caveats and asterisks, you know? Yeah. We can talk about, well, we didn't get a preseason, neither did anyone else. We, you know, are suffering because of the schedule. Well, so is everyone else. Uh, you yeah. know, for us, it's maybe a little bit more pronounced because we have European football. But, you know, you want European football. It's your job. Uh, and it's the job of the players and the manager to deal with that. You know, that's what being a top level club is all about. So for every reason, um, pretty much every other club is dealing with those things as well. Although I do think that there is... Um, there is a bit more going on at Arsenal given the circumstances at the club and how we're sort of coming through a post-Wenger, post-Emery kind of situation and some of the things we've been dealing with, you know, to try and rebuild, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe I think we probably have a question or two about this, so maybe we'll go into this a bit more in part two. Yeah, I also think that... um Something I said before the City game is that I think the the Benfica and Leicester games will weigh kind of heavier, you know, in the equation of kind of mm. seeing where we are. And uh, I think that's because we, as a fan base, we're collectively quite realistic about our capability of competing with Manchester City. But Leicester City mm. are a different kettle of fish and it will be interesting to see how that one goes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, anything else on the game, on the performance, on the team selection that you want to touch on before we go to part two? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've. I think we've covered most of what I. Yeah, I mean, what what is it? Is it a game we just put in a box now and leave to one side? It's, to an extent, yeah. I mean, if they go, if Arsenal go and beat Benfica. Um, then I and and get a result against Leicester. I mean, that mm. feels like uh, that would feel like a real success from this point. I mean, the, the the thing is, we could be good enough to be in the top four and still get beat twice by Man City. You know, that's happening to plenty of teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the two, you know, us us not being good enough to lay a glove on Man City, which we really didn't for ninety minutes. Um, that doesn't preclude us being able to achieve our sort of realistic goals. So I guess to an extent, yeah, you can compartmentalise it. Um, the big issue is we're not getting the results in the other games. Mm, that is very true. That is very true. It's not games against Man City which really define your season. No. No. Like, you know, a lot of teams are going to lose to Man City. And a lot of teams are going to lose to Man City twice. But, mm. you know, it's the defeats we've had against you know, Villa and Wolves or the teams we were losing to in that terrible run towards the end of last year. That's really what our season has been about and, you know, why we're in the situation we're in. Mm. Okay, right. Let's take a short break here. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. So, questions, questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, let me ask you this one first. Um, Joe McNamara, who's at Joe underscore McNamara 93, who says, Morning, fellas. Feeling fairly philosophical about losing 1-0 to Man City, as sad and insipid as it was. But can somebody explain to me why Bakayo Saka played 90 minutes? If damage limitation was the name of the game, surely give him a rest. And I'm sure there are many other questions concerned about the amount of football that Bakayo Saka is playing right now. Yeah. Well, I thought he wouldn't play. I think I said that on Friday. Um, mm. He did play and I think was was probably Arsenal's best player uh, and probably their best hope of getting something in this game. Did he play 90 minutes in the end? He did? He did, yeah. I am worried about it, but I also... I mean, it's a reflection of his status, isn't it? I mean, he, he is one of the first names on Mikel Arteta's team sheet currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of integral to everything that we do. So I do have some sympathy with the manager and I understand to an extent his reticence um, to leave him out. It's going to have to happen at some point though, isn't it? Well, I thought that. <laughs> and then it has now you're wondering. Like maybe, and I understand. Maybe he's like a freak of just being incredibly fit. Yeah, well, exactly. Maybe this is our worry more than the worry of Mikel Arteta, his coaching staff, his medical staff, and Bakayo Saka. Like, I get it. 
I, I'm not stupid. I can see why people are concerned and I have some concerns myself. But I think what was interesting was after Benfica, Mikel Arteta said very specifically, we're going to have to manage his minutes with regards Mm. to Saka. And then he played him for 90 minutes in the next game. So he's either not concerned that playing him for... He he forgot forgot to drop him. Or he is willing to take a risk with Saka for the sake of what he can give us on the pitch. Yeah, but I would like a training the next day and he's, you know, electric and yeah. they're saying, well, well, I, yeah, I mean, I would like to think that it's more that they're they're you know, they're going on information which says like he's fine. Is he carrying a strain or an ache or a niggle? Does he have a little calf problem, a groin problem, a hamstring problem? If he doesn't have any of those things and he says he's fine, you know, that's that's my only rational explanation for why he played ninety minutes. Is that that they they they're doing so from a uh, from an informed position, rather than being careless and reckless with the fitness and uh, everything else of a of a young player. I mean, do you think he'll play against Benfica? Yeah, I think he will too. I think he will too. I think we've got uh, a much better chance of winning the game if he plays. Yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe there's an extent to which, I think I've mentioned this previously, but Arteta's looking at this run of fixtures and thinking, well, the, this is crunch time. You know, I, I need him out there and maybe he can mm. get a rest afterwards. Um, yeah, I am concerned about it. And maybe it's just trauma from, you know, memories of Jack Wilshire or something like that. Mm. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Uh, but it just strikes me that the physical demands of this season are so particular and so intense. I feel like any player who's playing as many minutes as he is at any age with any kind of history of physical problems would be at risk, you know? But does he have a history of physical problems? No, no, no. But I just mean whatever, yeah. even if you don't, I just think this particular schedule is so... Uh, intense you know even someone like uh, Aubameyang who's like super super fit and never seems to need to miss a game very rarely gets injured you know I think you can even see him slightly feeling the strain Mm. you know so I I kind of think anybody would struggle with the sheer number of minutes he's playing well here's here's another question in sort of the same ballpark um, but at, at a slightly coming at it from a slightly different angle, it's from the Discord from Dancing Bear, who says, do you think Mikel is struggling to rotate correctly? Players seem to go through long spells on the sidelines. Look at Martinelli, Lacazette and Pepe prior to yesterday. All have now had three or four games and pretty much zero minutes after playing three or four full games. Um, does this mean they're coming into games too cold as such? Shouldn't they be at least getting some minutes to keep that sharpness? I am finding that a bit odd, yeah. Like, I, I, for example, Lacazette, who was sort of, you know, a regular starter and now is sort of picking up a few minutes here and there, I do find that a, a curious use of resource. Um, so I am finding that a bit confusing, to mm. be completely honest with you. What about you? Um, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised at some of it to be honest. 
Um, There's definitely a more balanced way to do it. I mean, maybe their thinking is, well, we sit these guys down for three or four games and then they come back in for three or four games. Maybe it's something like that. But it does strike me that there's a way to kind of mix it up more game by game and kind mm. of share the load slightly more. Yeah. But but then Arteta's scrabbling for results, isn't he? A little bit. So when he finds something that works, yeah, yeah, yeah. he sticks with it. That's true as well. That's uh, true I think well. that's the tension. You know, it's all very well saying, I'm going to play Aubameyang through the middle one game and then the next I'm going to play Lacazette. But when Aubameyang scores a hat-trick, you yeah. think, right, well, we better stick with this. And when you play, you know, I think we played pretty well against Benfica, even if we didn't get the goals. Yeah. You know, for a team that, that has struggled to create... You know, you look at the you look at the positives of that, but I do think you you also have to look at the Man City game as a very different one. Like you can't play against Man City the way you play against Benfica. So no. is it not the opportunity to to give some guys a bit more playing time? You know, and and maybe the way to approach a game like Man City is to sit down Saka and sit down Aubameyang and put these other guys in who can do a job for you. And if you're 1-0 down after 70 minutes, when you need to have a go from the bench, or if you want to really give it a lash in the last 15, 20 minutes, those are the guys you bring on. Yeah, I would have been fine with that. And, may, and you know, maybe it's easier to say that having lost the game already. Um, but I, I could have seen some sense in that. I do mm. think if there was an opportunity to kind of rest players I do feel like this was maybe the game to do it and while we did it with some uh, you know Saka is one that I would have looked long and hard at and considered mm. giving a proper break um, it'll be interesting to see what we get on Thursday I mean Tom Jenkins on Twitter said what is the first choice centre-back pairing and which do you prefer and who do you think will start against Benfica well I think we, we're now seeing that we've got two pairs of central defenders. Right. Holding and Marie and Louise and, and Gabriel. Um, which do, do I Do you think prefer? they're the right pairs? Like, do you think those are the best partnerships? Because um, I'm not convinced, actually. I, I'm why, not what, sure. What do you think is the best partnership? Uh, like holding and Marie was pretty good in that in that spell of games where yeah. you know we we kept a, quite a number of clean sheets. You know, I, it's very difficult to assess this because the David Luiz thing is just too big of a thing in my own head. Maybe it's not just in my own head, but what do you mean? Like the, that he's so unpredictable? Yeah, or yeah, yeah, like I cannot. Like when David Luiz is even okay, he's a good player. You know, he's experienced. Um, I think alongside Gabriel, the, the the fact that he's a fellow Portuguese speaker, uh, speaker and fellow Brazilian, I think that helps. Um, it's just, I think he might be. I think personally, I think he on it on a good day. I think he he's in he's in the best eleven for me on a good day. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, I agree with it's that. Russian I think roulette, it's, though, right? It is Russian roulette. That's a really good way of putting it. He's a trapdoor, footballing trapdoor. You just don't know when it's going to open yeah. and, and cause you a problem. So that's why I think probably Louise and Gabrielle is 
on paper our best pairing, but it comes with a with a big question mark or with that that sort of doubt hanging over you about what might happen when Louise is on the pitch because we've seen yeah. it so many times. So, yeah, if you were picking an Arsenal team to sort of you know play a cup final or play for your life. I think I would pick Louise, but you would know in doing it, there was probably a, a 25% chance it would really backfire. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, maybe Louise and Gabriel is the best partnership. I, I, you know, Rob Holding, I think, had had a really good, consistent season until recently. And in fact, art teacher, who's at Drawing Man 15, said, Rob Holding has been so reliable this season. Do you think his recent mistakes are a sign of mental fatigue because of all the games he's played? Or is he just a player with limitations? It's a good question. Uh, I did like this from Gaslight Arsenal, um, who said, should Rob Holding change his name to Rob Respectful Distance? Um, he could have been Holding, Sterling and Ollie Watkins, of course. I, you know, I think I said this to you the other week about Holding. I think he's a good squad player. But I think yeah. his limitations... Um, mean that there are going to be periods in his season where where his mistakes cost you mm. you know uh I, I you know i like him i think he's a he's an honest guy i think what's frustrating about yesterday in particular for me is that one of one of his strengths this season has been in the air in our box he wins a lot of crosses heads away a lot of crosses a lot of corners a lot a lot of set pieces Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he uh, he seems to be the guy who's who's going to uh, attack the ball. So one of the one of the frustrations for me um, about yesterday was the fact that he was beaten in the air so easily by by uh, Raheem Sterling, who's you know five foot six or five foot whatever he is, five foot eight. I don't know, mm-hmm. small. Um, so I think you know, holding for me is a, is a squad player. I would, you know, I I don't think he's the quality of defender that you can build your team around. No, I don't think he is for for, for I, what our aspirations are. And so, look, yeah, yeah, and look, I, I I'm not saying that that's what Arsenal think he is either, because no, from so, what yeah. we understand, they're keeping their eye on or they're looking for a right sided centre half, whoever that might be, come the summer, and that's Holdings. Mm-hmm position nominally right Mm -hmm. um so i you know i think he's a he's a he's a decent player but he's limited and i think some of his limitations have been exposed in the last couple of starts for him and some of those limitations whether it's mental fatigue or just a lapse of concentration or getting switched on straight away uh you know it's really impossible to say isn't it because you can't measure the tiredness of somebody's brain no i mean i saw this tweet from ryan hun who said, wild to see pundits criticising player performances still without the slightest hint of an acknowledgement they are deep into physical and mental conditions no professional footballers have ever been in before. And, uh, you know, all players are in that boat. But it is an interesting, that sort of mental and physical fatigue and how that might impact performance, I do think is is relatively absent from the conversation around players at the moment. And it must be a factor. Yeah, it must be. But then... It is a factor for every player. Sure, you know? some will handle it better than some others. Some will handle it better than others, and maybe this is a this is something that that teams and managers and coaches and players themselves will learn from. Um, or, or yeah, 
because these circumstances have been so trying that you you maybe learn things about players that you wouldn't normally have learned. And maybe that then informs your decision about, you know, how you build your squad going forward. Can I just make another point here? Mm. And this isn't critical or to be critical of Rob Holding himself, because I I have to think this is an instruction. Yes. The first half, Man City kicked off. They played the ball backwards. They kept the ball, passed it around, and inside two minutes, scored a goal. The second half kicked off. We played the ball back to Rob Holding. He did what he's done countless times this season in this very circumstance, which is launch the ball towards the left-hand side. It is clearly an instruction. It's clearly an instruction. And he's only doing what he's told. But it fucking drives me mental. It drives me insane. Why are we giving the ball away? Why don't we just, why doesn't Rob Holding, you know, play it to his central defensive partner or play it out to Hector Bellerin or play it into midfield to one of the midfield players? Why don't we keep the ball? What is the point of this? Why are we doing it? Somebody please ask Mikel Arteta. I know some of the guys who are on the Arsenal beat listen to this podcast. So please, you guys, I'm begging you, somebody ask Mikel Arteta what the fuck that is and why we continue to do it. Because uh, it happened at the start of the second half yesterday and I wanted to kick my TV in. And I like my TV. It's it's nice. Please don't do that. No. Um. no no TVs will be harmed in the making of this podcast. But it must be about territory. It feels very rugby, doesn't it's it? Just, it's just rugby. That's exactly it. Kick for touch. Yeah. Pen them in. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it for a, for, a, for a manager who's so concerned about what we do with the ball. And, you know, at the very, the very least you can say... You know, Arteta is aware, I think, of of the problems that we've had. You know, uh, the quality of the ball in the final third, the quality of our decision-making. He's he's sort of aware of the problems we have. You know, when he talked earlier in the season about how we don't create enough chances and score enough goals, you know, he found uh, some sort of a solution in the last few months. But I just don't understand what this is. No, it, it, uh, if I had to hazard a guess uh, I would say that it must be the brainchild of the set piece coach and they must think I I would imagine they look at teams ability to retain the ball from throw-ins deep inside their own half and maybe they think that's actually quite a difficult thing to do in the modern game which I understand is increasingly difficult because you get penned in and pressed and they think well maybe we can kind of capitalise on that okay but how many whether it's in the first minute of the game or the 46th minute of the game, how many times have we exploited the potential weakness of an uh, of an opponent in dealing with a throw deep in their own half and scored a goal? I'd well, love to know. To, I don't. To I, my memory, I don't know. Probably yeah, none. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I'm not defending it, but I'm just trying to figure yeah, yeah, out yeah, yeah, why yeah, yeah, on yeah. earth you might do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I agree, it seems very strange. But yeah, hopefully... He will get asked, and if I get an opportunity, I will ask him myself. But let's see. Um, I might write him a letter. Write him. A, I'll just, you know, he's on Twitter, isn't he? No, he doesn't look. Doesn't look at his social media at all. <sighs> so he claims. Yeah, so he yeah. claims. I never believe a good old-fashioned letter, dear Mister Arteta. Dear, 
<laughs> it has come to my attention. Um, Yours frustratedly. About... <laughs> have you got a question, by the way? Because I feel like I've probably done a few in a row. I think I've done the few in the row, have I? Oh, okay, all right. I've got one. Yeah. I've got one. Okay. It's from Joan, who's at AFC Joan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's spelled J-O-N-E. They say, morning, folks. Seems like sacrilege, but is cashing in on Saka an option we should explore Stop in it. Stop, stop, stop. Let me finish the question. No. Would hopefully fetch north of 100 million and could fund our squad rebuild. No. Liverpool did it with Coutinho. No. And things didn't work out too no. bad for them. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I mean, I can think of stupid things that Arsenal Football Club have done in mm-hmm. the past. In the, in the recent past, in the distant past, somewhere in the middle. I can think of all kinds of stupid things that we have done. But selling Bakayo Saka as we're trying to rebuild a team based around players of a particular age profile, that doesn't, that that just seems really stupid to me. Now, if we're two years down the line and we haven't made any progress and a big team comes calling for him, I mean, I think a big part of what we've got to do as a football club is ensure that Arsenal is a place that Bakayo Saka wants to spend a, a significant part of his career. Because he's a, just an, a really, really good footballer. He's he's grown up at Hale End. He's come through to the first team. I just don't see how any Arsenal fan could consider, conceivably, realistically consider, how selling Bakayo Saka this summer would be of any benefit to us whatsoever, particularly when we're on the fence, at best, about our recruitment uh, ability well, that's too, the key, right? isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's all about how you spend the money. Liverpool, yes, they got 100 million for Coutinho, but for me, the that's not the reason they're successful. The reason they're successful is they spent that money incredibly smartly. And, you know, look at Spurs when they sold Gareth Bale. They had this huge windfall. They spent 100 million quid on, on players, Eric Lamella and, you know, a bunch of players who did nothing for them, essentially. Um and, you know, I would have serious concerns about how we might spend that money and if we would actually mm. be in a better position. That said, I can't lie. I, you know, I watch Bukayo Saka and I think this is a player that is going to the very top. And I, and obviously, we ain't the very top right now. No, we're not. But, I mean, how do you ever hope to get there if you sell Bukayo Saka? You know, we might not we might not get anywhere close to being where he wants to be and there might come a time and I hope it doesn't happen. But you know, as I said, if we don't make any progress and he continues his progress as a player, mm. you know, he's going to go to Man City or he's going to go to, you know, a, a bigger club, a better club with more money um and more chances of winning things. That's the reality. But to to sort of do it now is to just throw in the towel. Yeah, that that's where I really think it would be a mistake, you know, certainly this summer. I think there's lots of reasons why. I mean, first of all, I think the world of Saka, I think mm. getting 100 million quid from him in this climate would be 
you know that would I, I I don't necessarily see that as a realistic prospect in a couple of years time when he's a regular in the England team and an even better player than he is now who knows what sort of money he would command and also who knows where we'll be I think mm. you're right if we're not in a position to help him fulfill his ambitions in a few years time yeah. the decision will kind of be out of our hands I mean ultimately clubs can dig in their heels to an extent but when a player says I'm not going to sign a new contract you sell that player uh, well, unless you're Arsenal, you just let them wait until yeah, they leave for, leave for free. Yeah, but you know, ultimately, the decision isn't always the clubs, um, and it may be that some of these young players that we have ultimately do fund uh, a kind of another rebooted project. But that will have, that will mean. If that is the case, it will mean the current project we're on has not worked. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think you're right to say that that there are going to be some young players, but you can think of other young players who maybe don't have quite the same talent or the same uh, ceiling as Bakayo Saka, who could still fetch us reasonable money in the market. You use your academy to 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 generate funds. Mm. And like if it's a Maitland-Niles or a Joe Willock or an Eddie Nketiah, who gives you that money, that's surely the right way to do it. The issue isn't, um, you, we don't solve our problems by getting rid of Bakayo Saka. We need more players like Bakayo Saka or players of that level if we're going to get back to where we want to be. Simple as that I, for me. I, I agree. I just can't, I suppose I I'm not confident I'm not confident that we're going to be able to do that. I hope we are, but I'm not confident right mm. now. Yeah, but I mean, even <laughs> even so, this summer is just, no. Uh, yeah, no. I agree with you 100% on that. And and on the subject of Eddie Nketiah, by the way, Dazzy Pepper on Discord said, what's happening with Nketiah? In the middle of a very busy period, a necessarily rotated side, he doesn't even make the bench. Is this a signal he's likely gone in the summer? Yeah. Yeah, looks I that mean, way, I don't. It? I you know, we've, I've had questions. People saying, "What's going on with Reese Nelson?" Well, he's playing for the under twenty threes. Yeah, that's what's going on with Reese Nelson. Now, w quite why that is, what's gone on behind the scenes to make that happen? I'm not in. Uh, I'm in the dark. Uh, I should say in in that sense, but that's what's happening. And I think you can read a lot into into his situation. Yeah, and Eddie and Ketia, I mean, right now, I feel like Lacazette's got a better chance of being here next season than Ketia. Yeah, I mean, as, as well, look, I, I think for all the frustration, I think there have been players who've been given chances who haven't particularly impressed. Not that they played really, really badly, but they just haven't lived up to expectations. And is probably one of them. Um you know, even even Willian, who nobody is um, keen to talk about, and I don't particularly want to talk about him or, or, or dredge that up again, he hasn't started a Premier League game for two months. No. You know, so there is at least some tacit acknowledgement that the guys who've had chances, um, you know, have not that they've blown their chances, but they're not playing at the mm. moment. So he can't com can't complain about that, really, given that that's what people want to see. If you don't play well, you don't play. No. I mean, yeah, he, mm. he's, he, he's getting the odd cameo mm. here and there, but he's not started again for a long time. Okay. Here's a question from Jezza on the Discord who says, 
Um, hey guys, we're two or three positions away from being, or Pep said rather, we're two or three positions away from being a real force in his post-match interview. What positions do you think he meant? And also from the Discord we have one from the font is always so small uh, Daniel Refat who says or Daniel Refat I don't know he says do you take anything from Pep's comments about Arteta after the game he's always so complimentary about what he says saying we'll compete for titles very soon but I'm never sure if he's just looking out for a friend and talking him up in the media <laughs> <laughs> I, I can I be honest I don't take anything from what Pep says especially after he's just beaten us it really feels like so so happy he's so happy yeah he's so happy he, Mikel is so so clever. Honestly, he's he knows everything. <laughs> I, 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 I I I'm reminded of, you know, do you remember, do you remember in Disney's Fantasia, the Sorcerer's Apprentice? They do a kind of adaptation of that, and you know, Mickey Mouse is the apprentice, <laughs> and he the Sorcerer's away, and he gets all the brooms. Kind yeah. Of, you know, they all go out of control. For me, that's sort of what happened when Arteta put Willie out as the false nine at the Etihad. You know, he just <laughs> kind of spiraled beyond his control. But the sorcerer, he's the real boss. He knows what's going on. Right. I mean, you know, Arteta beat Guardiola in the FA Cup semi-final and that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, but Guardiola's talking from a, a comfortable position of superiority there, I think. Mm. Uh, what was the first part of the question? What are the two or three positions? Yeah, he said we're two or three positions away from being a real force. Well, I, something I think we probably don't talk about enough is how much it's killing us that Thomas Partey is just not available. Like, that is huge. The the, the main thing that Mikel Arteta had to address in the summer was central midfield. He spent €50 million Euros on a world-class central midfield player and he's not played ten games. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a yeah, it's an issue. It's a big thing. And if he was fit all season, and, and listen, when you buy a player from abroad who's not played in the Premier League before, maybe there is a risk in terms of how they handle the physical intensity mm. um, and an adaptation to undergo. But that, you know, that that's the first position I think of, and I almost find myself forgetting sometimes that we bought that player, and he's been very, very good when he's played, um, and it kind of makes you feel the absence all the more keenly. His his absence feels sort of one of the inevitabilities of the season yeah, in a way, doesn't exactly. it? It's sort of like, it's, oh yeah, of course he's not there. Yeah, and, you know, just, I think you're right to point out how different we would be as a team with him if he were fully fit and everything else. I mean, do you yeah. expect him for Benfica? Mm, I don't, no. Mm. I think if we did, maybe Danny Sabaris plays yesterday. Mm. So I think that's a huge factor. And undoubtedly, and this, again, this is not an excuse for Mikel Arteta, uh, but undoubtedly we would be a better team if Thomas Partey had played every Premier League game, you know? But mm. it, it, we haven't. And so that's the first area of the pitch I think of. Um, two or three other positions. Uh, I mean, I still think centre back. I still think centre back, and increasingly, maybe right back. What do you think? I mean, central midfield is the obvious one. For yeah, me. I mean, even with Partey, I'd argue we could we need another one. You know, I would also maybe. Yeah, I'd err towards 
um, centre-half as well. Even if our defensive record has been statistically pretty good. But I can't help but think that if we had another goal scorer in the team, this season wouldn't look quite as bad. I mean, I think our issues are how you want to tie them up together. It's up to you, but but goal scoring and and creating, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at the results that we've had this season, um, when you look at the games we've lost in the Premier League, 1-0 1-0 to Man City, 1-0 to Leicester, uh, 2-1 Wolves, 1-0 to Burnley, 2-1 to Everton, 2-1 to Wolves, 1-0 to Aston Villa, 1-0 to Man City. There's a lot of one-goal defeats in there where even if you're not scoring two to get you the three points, you're capable of getting the one goal that will get you a point. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like... A it's dr- our goals for column that's it's the biggest our, yeah. issue. So I think Saka has obviously stepped up in the last few weeks, but we don't get enough goals. So another goal scorer in that front three would be especially useful, I think. Like, I don't yeah. think you can be considered... Like, when you talk about right back, could we be better there? Yes. But if you're talking about being a force... You can't be a force unless you score goals. No, you're right. You're right. And and I, I have to be fair, I don't think it is a three-position job. I think Pep's wrong about that. Um, it's eight. <laughs> it's like seven or eight. And, and, and one I have talked about since the summer, really, I do think is centre-forward and having someone who you could bring on in that last 20 minutes of that game who mm. genuinely enables you to change the dynamic, the type of football you play gives you real presence uh, in the penalty box you know I'm not sure Arsenal have that striker Um, but but we need goals more generally in the team of course we do Mm. we need goals all over the team Um, I mean yeah so listen I mentioned strikers there it was interesting there was a lot of talk about Aubameyang or, or sort of suddenly again yesterday and, and Pramod AFC said, why is Aubameyang not being questioned for lack of fight? Is Alba actually a threat for defenders anymore when the team is not playing well? Um, lack of fight. I mean, I don't, I don't know how we can gauge that or measure that. You know what I mean? Um, well, it's also not something he had and he lost. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think his temperament has dramatically changed. He's always been this guy. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, and it's like enabled him to excel. He hasn't needed to be a guy racing into challenges and, you know, he doesn't need to be Luis Suarez to score goals. True, true. He's a guy who depends on service. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. Uh you know, I, I don't think... They went in quite hard on him on Sky after the game. Yeah, I saw Jamie that? Redknapp say he's basically finished, didn't he? Mm. Um, there so, was an incident where he went one-on-one with Stones and came off second best, but I mean... Well, I think that was 100% a foul. I'm One, looking at it now, 100% actually. a foul. Like, if that happens anywhere else on the pitch, it's a foul. That is a foul. Mm-hmm. But... 
No, I mean, I get I, the I get the, the the general concern about his inability to run past defenders. Yeah, you know, his legs aren't quite what they were. That's true. the 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 pace isn't quite there. But if you're using that as an example of him being past it, that's not it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, personally, I, I don't quite buy this thing of he's finished. You know, no, he no. did score a hat trick two games ago. Yeah. And should he have should scored, have scored a, a hat trick. <laughs> well, should have scored at least one against Benfica. Yeah. Yes, he didn't really have an opportunity in this game, but I'm not sure that's on him. Really, mm. I agree. Uh, listen, you can always do more. I think. I think there's a slight conflation here between Aubameyang the striker and Aubameyang the captain. And I think right. sometimes what people want to see from their captain is different from what Aubameyang gives you. And particularly when you're going through a difficult period, when you're when you're maybe not playing well, or you know when you've lost as many games as we have this season, you want to see. Maybe you want to see your captain being affronted by that. Mm. But you know these are these are the players that we've got. I you know he's not the he's not a Roy Keane or a Tony Adams. No, but as we've said but- many times on this podcast before. Those players are rare. They're really rare. Yeah. That's why they stand out. You know, we haven't had a Tony Adams since Tony Adams. No. That's not for the one to try, is it? You know? Yeah, exactly. And there are plenty of successful teams with milder-mannered players in them. Who was Man City's captain yesterday? I have got a clip. Me neither. Yeah. So Precisely. Could it, I mean, could it have been Raheem Sterling? I don't know. Uh, I genuinely don't know who their captain was. Let me see if they have it on their Twitter um, when they do their team lineup thing. I'm sort of thinking it through in my mind, wondering who it could be. Gundogan, maybe, or De Bruyne, perhaps. De Bruyne, maybe, yeah. Um, But, but, you know, the point stands. I, I I couldn't tell you who captains a lot of teams these days because I think the role has kind of diminished. Fernandinho. Fernandinho, there yeah. you go. Very is he experienced player. very experienced player? Had a great game yesterday, but is he like a snarling beast, or is he a guy who just does his job really fucking well? Yeah, I mean, I guess what people might say about Aubameyang is: is he doing his job really fucking well this season? No, he's not. But then uh, he ain't alone in that. No, and I do and think if- you know when you look at the number, as we've said many times, the number of attacking players who seem to have found a bit of a rut yeah. in this Arsenal team. I don't want to go overboard because there have been encouraging signs from the attack recently. And even against Benfica, we created a lot of decent chances. Yeah. So maybe this was just a difficult day against an outstanding team. Mm. And maybe the trajectory is still positive. But yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I, I, I found it interesting how quickly... Uh, Aubameyang was kind of being debated again. Yeah. Maybe like, that's going to happen when you're that age. Maybe. And you get the contract and everything else. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, I, I much, I'd understand much more a debate or a discussion about Aubameyang after the Benfica game than yesterday's. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're highlighting a moment where he was clearly fouled as evidence of his past itness, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's, Yeah. 
you're setting up straw men basically uh, to, to have that argument, which isn't to say that Aubameyang hasn't had issues this season. Of course he has, but but yesterday was not the game, I think. Um, and people will say, look, well, you know, it's the job of the captain to lead the team and to, you know, drag the team through, you know, difficult periods, et cetera, et cetera. And he could have played better yesterday. I, I firmly believe that. I think some of the hold-up play was really poor. But, you know, it's not It's not the... Um, that's not the evidence um, that he's finished for me. Not doing it against Man City because plenty of strikers who are still at it and, you know, just starting and everything else will have games like that against Man City. But speaking about the attack, yeah, Dean, who's at DJ Stanners, says, are you concerned with how little we're seeing of Martinelli? And there were many questions about this. Yeah, and we're getting this question regularly at the moment, which I think tells its own story. Um, am I concerned? A little bit. A little bit. I, I, I've said before, I have this slight mm, hesitance with Arteta and Martinelli where I, what he said about the player and his actions don't quite add up to me. You know, he's been incredibly positive about him and his impact, but he's never come close to starting him regularly. Now, granted, he's had injury problems, um, but even when he's been fit, the introduction has been slow. So, yeah, I have a, I have some concerns about that. I mean, do I think Martinelli should be starting ahead of Pepe, uh, Saka, Smith-Rowe? Probably not at the moment. So I can understand why he's not getting a load of game time. Um, my issue is when people like William get it instead, you know? Sure. But sure. that wasn't the case yesterday. No. What do you think? Um, I'd like to see more of him, but I, I, I do wonder if... Yeah, I'm not hugely concerned because he is still 19. He is just coming back from injuries. Um, By the way, as yeah. well, I don't think Martinelli... I don't think... Per, okay, personally, I haven't seen enough of Martinelli to be able to say that he is um, a talent who is at the level of, say, Asaka. I personally think he's a really exciting young player, but I'm not sure he has that innate maturity and decision-making that Saka seems to have that just makes him look like a guy who's 26, been playing his whole life and, you know, absolutely established. I haven't quite seen that with enough consistency from Martinelli to, to be like, he should be playing every week, personally. Sure. Sure, I mean, I get that. I get that. But I think as well, you have to look at the the impact he had in his first season and the goals that he scored and, and the way that he scored some of those goals. You know, and I'm thinking particularly some of the early goals he scored in the Europa League, the headers, where I think you can see a maturity in 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 the finishing. Is that the right way to put it? I mean, I think those are the kind of... Like, for example, there was one header... In I can't remember who the fuck we were playing. I think it was a Kieran Tierney cross, and he headed it yeah, from yeah, the near I, post. I know the goal you mean. Like, that's the kind of finish that if Olivier Giroud had made, we'd say, wow, what a fucking great header that was. And that's from a guy who's played 
a long career and who's one of whose key strengths is his aerial ability, right? So I think yeah. that we saw enough from Martinelli to be excited about what he could bring to this team in the penalty area. Yeah. I just wonder if the issue isn't so much what he can give us in the penalty area, it's what he can do when he's not in it, if that makes sense, and and how we either adapt him to be more of a penalty box player, whether they see him long-term as kind of a striker or a left winger. I hope winger. they do, personally. Yeah, I, I kind of hope they do, too, which, you know, he came on against Benfica, didn't he? Yeah. As the striker, he didn't get much service. Um, yeah, so I'm he did not... come I'm on not, ahead of Lacazette in that game, which suggests he's not completely out of Arteta's thoughts. No, I mean, that's a game that we were... We were um, we were playing well in, we'd made chances in, another goal would have been very valuable in, and Arteta decided that our best option on the night was to give Martinelli a go. So, it did, you know, I don't quite buy into the idea that, that Arteta doesn't rate Martinelli. I don't quite understand why he's not getting minutes in certain games. But I'm not. I don't really buy into that idea that he just doesn't think he's worth playing. No, I mean I do think that there is a degree to which he thinks him and Aubameyang are kind of uh, similar players. You know, it was telling against Benfica he came on for Aubameyang, and when he started against Manchester United, I think I'm right in saying Aubameyang was unavailable to us, and I haven't seen Arteta pick them alongside each other with any regularity. And I do wonder if that's part of it, Mm. uh, that when he thinks about the chemistry, the balance of that front four, rightly or wrongly, he believes it's it's one of those two. Um, But it's it's not an easy question to answer, you know, because I would like to see more of Martinelli. Uh, And just because I don't think his talent level is the same as Saka's, it doesn't mean I don't think he's a great prospect. But it's not easy to answer how and where he should be put in and at the expense of whom. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. But I, but he seems to me like someone who would be a very good substitute. You know, he's someone who comes on very high energy, great intensity to his games, you know, has goal threat. Mm. In these games where we are chasing goals, I'm a little bit surprised he doesn't get those opportunities. You know, he didn't. I remember Aston Villa as mm. well. He didn't get off the bench in that one. I found that one odd. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and that's, I'm not to make any excuses for, but I think that was a substitution we fudged because of what happened to Partey. We had. With Willian. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? But even um, then, it was Willian coming on. True, true. So. What about this question? Let's have it and let's make it the final one because okay. we've been going Ian a Stone long time. Stone has texted it to me. He said, I was going to tweet a question for the Ask Us, but it might be too late. It's not too late, Ian. Not for you. Is it satisfactory, he says, for the manager of a team of Arsenal stature to describe a round of 32 match in the Europa League as a final? I don't have any issue with that. I don't. You know, it... it... Look, if you're going to take it absolutely literally, of course not. But I think what he's doing is stressing the importance of the game. How important is it? Very important. 
Like, I don't see us as a team that can win the Europa League. And I know... Really? You don't think we can? I just... You know what worries me? That we're really not very good. (laughs) That, but also the, the, the other English teams. I have kind of this sickening feeling in my stomach about some of oh, the other no. English teams. One um, in particular? Any of them. I hate them all. Um, but it is an important game. Um, I think we've we've sort of gone so far, we, don't, we haven't had a chance to have the discussion about, you know, this season and where it is and what we should think about it and everything else, but maybe we'll do that a different day. Uh, he's no, but just, I think it I is think good he, to talk about the stakes yeah, on yeah, Thursday yeah. night. Um, I don't think it changes anything in terms of what's going to happen at the club. Yeah, right? materially, I don't think it matters massively. Um, but it will change the mood you know, among I, the supporters. I, I agree. I agree. I don't think it will change the club's plans or what they're going to do or how they're going to approach things or anything like that. It will change or it might change people's uh, view of Arteta, the manager, how the club is being run, those kind of things. So, I mean, from our perspective, it's different. I just think that whatever happens um, on Thursday and whatever happens between now and the end of the season, unless it's something incredibly bad, Mikel Arteta is going to be in charge next season. I think that's the reality of, of our situation, right? Um, whether people like it or, or not, or are comfortable with it or confident in it, I think that's what's going to happen mm. one way or the other. Mm. But I don't have any issue with him describing um, the game against Benfica as a final because it, it highlights the importance of, of what we've got to do call every game between now and the end of the season a final. I don't give a fuck. But we have to kind of approach games with that sort of mindset, I think. Because, you know, I see all the talk about, well, we should just focus on Europe. No, we can't. We've got, whatever, 13 games, 14 games left to play in the Premier League. We can't just focus on Europe. We have to win as many of those games as we can. So if approaching them on a game-by-game basis, each game being the next most important one, I'm okay with that. Mm. You know, so I don't think it's a case that he's, you know, saying, well, this is a final. Um, I think he's just really talking about how important this game is uh, and the attitude with which the players need to take to the field, which is, you know, don't lose concentration inside two minutes and let a goal in, that sort of thing. You know, I think it's about that would be nice, concentrating it? the minds of his players on the job they have at hand. And then Leicester's a final. And then whoever the fuck we've got, Burnley's a final. And each game after that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 Tottenham. and uh, you know, I think what's another interesting, just very interesting quick sidebar to the, to the Europa League thing is people say it's a way back into the Champions League. Like, I'm not sure we're 100% ready for the Champions League. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be fun watching, I don't think. No, but isn't the main fuck. thing to win the fucking trophy? Not not the secondary reward. Isn't the main thing that you would win the Europa the European League? European Cup for any of the third yeah. time in Arsenal's history. Uh, yeah, that should be. But I, I, in fairness, I understand why people say that. Yeah, I do as thing. well. But like... Financially, it's, it's a lifeline, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. But... And and players care about it. Mm-hmm. Players care about playing in it. Um, 
I'm always slightly surprised by how much they care about playing it in it, but they do. Yeah. Try not to lose uh, uh, 11 games and you might have a better chance of being in it. Yeah. yeah. Players. Yeah, you players. Right. Well, listen, it's a big game. It is. Let's see what we get. It is. Fingers crossed. You know, if we can if we can play pretty much the way we played in the first leg, but uh, make our finishing better, I think I think we'll go through. So, um, yeah. yeah. They didn't show a huge amount to worry us in that particular game. Um, I suppose the question that I can't answer is, was that them on a really bad day or is that just mm. their level? I think, uh, the, I think the thing we've got to worry about most is ourselves. Well, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Given our definitely. track that's record. That's definitely what's worrying me most. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, look, that's something we will discuss later in the week on another uh, on another podcast, of course. As ever, thank you very much indeed for being here. Thank you for your support. Thanks for listening, for all your subscriptions, for the reviews and everything else. We really do appreciate it. Um, we will catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.